It is Checkers and Wreckers Victory Lap, KFGO.com. My name is Ryan Janke. I'm here with Corey Litton. That's me. That is you. We have got a fantastic, and I don't say this lightly, fantastic episode lined up. We've got NASCAR results from Richmond. We've got a winter view with Ruben Morellis. Uh, he's the announcer for the World of Outlaw Late Models. We've got, well, we, we've got a spoiler. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> We've got some World of Outlaws results. We've got locals racing around the country, uh, IndyCar results, and we've got more schedule releases. So we've got a jam-packed episode. Checkers and Wreckers Victory Lap, that's at kfgo.com. Let's get started. Yeah, and believe it or not, I actually cut some of this out. <laughs> so there was a lot more to get to, uh, really get to. So hopefully, hopefully it's... Uh, we can get to some of it next week. <laughs> we don't want everybody listening for three hours on a on no, a one-hour podcast. That's here. true. That's true. Yep. <laughs> All right. We had NASCAR action, right? Sunday, April 2nd, Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond Raceway, Richmond, Virginia. Well, stage one was 70 laps. Alex Bowman jumped out to the lead on the start, but with uh, 10 laps complete, his Hendrick Motorsports teammate William Byron passed Bowman for the lead. With no practice or qualifying, a competition caution came out on uh, lap 31, which brought everyone to the pits. Ross Chastain won the race off of pit road with William Byron in second, Alex Bowman third, Tyler Ruddick in fourth, Kyle Busch in fifth. Eight laps later, when the race went back to green, Chastain got a great restart while the field fought hard for position behind him. Hamlin, who was trying to make his way through the field after serving a pit road speeding penalty, completely dumped J.J. Yaley. That was pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Under, uh, and that brought up the caution on lap 45. The, and it couldn't have gone any better for the broadcast crew because they're on the onboard camera with Denny Hamlin as he just punted J.J. Haley. <laughs> Former teammate, too, I believe. I, I, don't, I think their timelines might have crossed a little bit with Gibbs Racing. They may have, yep. Um, Chastain buzzed the tires on the restart, and that allowed William Byron and Kyle Larson to get by with Byron taking the lead. Byron cruised to just under a second ahead of the rest of the field as he won stage number one for his fifth uh, stage win of the season with Kyle Larson in second, Ross Chastain in third, Kevin Harvick in fourth, and Joey Logano in fifth. We move on to stage two. Byron, Larson, Chastain, Harvick, and Logano led the race off pit road to set the restart order for stage two. Byron was able to get a good jump on the the lap 80 restart and had half a second on the field by the time Chastain took second from Larson. On lap 95, Josh Berry spun after a little help from Ryan Blaney. That guy. Just punted him. <laughs> he was that coming, was an accident, though. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was coming out of turn four, bringing out the caution flag. That brought the drivers to pit road with Byron winning again off of pit road. Larson in second, Chastain in third, Bowman in fourth, and Logano in fifth. Joey Logano had issues with his right rear tire and needed to pit again. That cost him a lot of track position. The green flag flew again on lap 101 with Byron getting another great start. Larson was able to track down Byron and was able to take the lead on lap 125. 
Larson had a three-and-a-half second lead over Byron as green flag pit stop started on lap 159. Larson made contact with Daniel Suarez while exiting the pits but was able to continue. Ryan Blaney's tough day continued as he needed to pit twice due to a wedge wrench being left in the car. When the la- when the stop cycle, I thought maybe you'd cut in there with some tears or something. I'm sad enough. <laughs> okay. I don't need to cry on the air. All right, fine. When the stop cycle through, it was Larson, Byron, Christopher Bell, Bowman, and Chastain rounding out the top five. With 34 laps to go in the stage, Larson began to drop back as Byron got by for the lead and Bell got by for second a couple laps later. With 24 to go in the stage and 193 laps left in the race, Bell was able to make his way through slower traffic to wrestle the lead away from Byron. As the stage wound down, the Joe Gibbs Racing Toyotas all made a charge to the front. Virginia native Denny Hamlin was able was especially on the move. Hamlin ran down and passed teammate Bell to win stage two. Bell finished second, Byron third, Martin Truex Jr. fourth, and Chastain rounded out the top five. And that takes us to the race to the finish. 170 laps remained after that one. After uh, After five stage break uh, laps under caution and 76 laps on their tires, pit road stops uh, started again. Uh, It was Hamlin who came off a pit lane first with Byron, Truex, Bell, and Bowman rounding out the top five. Hamlin took the green and the outright lead on lap 240, but quickly was under pressure from William Byron. Hamlin shook off the pressure and took off from the pack. Green flag pit stops picked up again with uh, 110 laps to go. Hamlin had trouble with the right front tire and lost a lead as well as several spots. I believe he had he went from like a six second lead to like sixteenth spot. Wow. That's how big of a big of a a problem that was for him. When it all shook out with a hundred and five laps to go, Martin Truex Jr. assumed the lead with Larson in second, Byron in third, Bowman in fourth, and Bell in fifth. The caution came out with ninety five laps to go as Noah Gregson t- uh, tagged the uh, turn two wall. Even with a few laps on their tires, that brought the leaders to the pits. Truex won off of pit road with Byron in second, Larson third, Bowman fourth, and Harvick in fifth. The race went back to green with 88 laps to go. The drivers settled into their long run strategies, so not much movement happened until the green flag pit stop started with about 53 laps to go. Josh Berry, Michael McDowell, and Todd Gilliland all stayed out hoping they would catch a caution flag. Byron passed Barry for the lead with 33 laps to go, and Truex hot on his heels. The caution came back out for Tyler Reddick spinning out with 29 laps to go. That brought the leaders back to pit road with 26 to go, and that paid off for Josh Barry. Uh, Kyle Larson won the race out of pit road. Josh Barry was in second. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. was in third. William Byron in fourth. Kevin Harvick in fifth. And on the lap 21 restart, Christopher Bell tried to go four wide for the fifth spot, but tapped the left rear of William Byron, sending him spinning into the turn one wall, and the caution was back out. The race resumed with 14 laps to go. Kyle Larson got a great restart and was untouchable for the rest of the day. And here is the final lap call from NASCAR.com. One lap to go, sponsored by Credit One Bank. They got some long pauses sometimes. They do. Just in the pre-race, we were talking about Kyle, man, being a little bit underrated this year or whatever, maybe overrated. And I'm telling you, this win puts him right back to where he wants to be. Had some tough finishes back on top. First win of the season for Kyle Larson. One and a half. 
seconds ahead of teammate Josh Berry. Ross Chastain third. Job today, great recovery. Sorry I got this off for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. We made it. Kyle Larson, you can't say that on the air. <laughs> it's not the worst thing he said over the microphone. <laughs> so Larson took the win, 19th of his career. Josh Berry, a career-high second-place finish. Not too bad for being a uh, a fill-in driver out there. No. Uh, so it might be the car, um, <laughs> at least the crew, because that was a heck of a job to get in a heck of a gamble to do that, staying out yeah. and waiting for the caution flag, and it paid off. It hasn't all season for everybody that's tried it. So, I mean, that's a good one. Uh, Ross Chastain, your boy, finished in the third spot. He yes, was pretty sir. quiet for most of the day, but he stayed and kept his nose clean. Had a good-looking car, too, that red, white, and blue uh, paint scheme mm-hmm. he had out there. Christopher it, Bell, he finished in fourth. Kevin Harvick in fifth. My boy Blaney finished in 26th. Yes, yes, he <laughs> did. Uh, boy, Ross just, just can't get away from being blamed for everything. Well, a lot of it is his fault. Have well, you seen him race? Well, come on. He was on his line. So what lap was this? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, which one was this one? He he came down. It was it was towards the end, right? I think it, so. Yeah, he, he came down. He got the inside lane. He was running his line. Oh, yeah. He's the reason why that, that uh, they went four wide to they go went, for the fifth spot. They went three wide. Yeah, but I mean, they were they were four wide there for a moment. Well. And he was in the way. And he, he caused... He caused. <laughs> he didn't touch anybody. Yeah, but he caused. Uh, he caused Christopher Bell to move up, and that's why he tagged. He way overcorrected, though. I well, I mean, it was the air coming off of the car. The, the one. The car. air coming <laughs> off of the car. That's totally Listen to this hater. One to the back. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> All right, the points shake out like this. Alex Bowman is in the first spot. With 263 points, Ross Chastain is four points back. Christopher Bell in third, 34 points back. In fourth is William Byron, 35 points behind. And Kevin Harvick rounds out the top five in points, 36 behind. Yeah, the ratings right now, uh, FS1 got a 1.30 rating, 2.303 million viewers. That's actually not so bad compared to most of the FS1 races from the year before. Uh, last year on Fox, it was a 2.3 rating with 3.958 million viewers. Mm-hmm. So that just goes to show you that taking it off of that cable is a TV killer, man. That everybody can get and putting it on cable destroys your viewership on mm-hmm. that one. NBC they got uh, eight eight hundred thirty thousand viewers for their IndyCar races last weekend. ESPN drew only five hundred fifty six thousand viewers for Formula One, but that was at like four in the morning. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. These are just the American numbers, by the way. So worldwide is is a little bit different than that, but I didn't have the time to look look through all those. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's fine. We're here. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to my uh, favorite racetrack next. Uh, I got to spend quite a bit of time, about a month total of my whole of yeah. my life up up there in in the span of two years. That's cool. Uh, that'll be this Sunday at April 9th, the Bristol Dirt Race at Bristol Motor Speedway. In Bristol, Tennessee, 6 p.m. on Fox. Which on means the, the green flag should fly about 6.45 then. 6.45, 7 o'clock ish. <laughs> um. <laughs> so the, this week you, you messaged me uh, because I was actually in the cities, uh, 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 had some things going on down there. So I wasn't able to watch the race live, but you did message me because 2.30 was the advertised start time. 
and uh, the green flag flew at 2.49. Earliest they've done this year. Yeah, they're getting better. That was only 19 minutes later than what they <laughs> what the advertised start time is, at least on the NASCAR app uh, on my phone. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so they got that going for them. Uh, they, must, <laughs> they must have been listening to our rant from last week. Maybe. So Maybe. we'll take that. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we will. So we've got some NASCAR news that just broke here the other day. I'm going to read an article here. This is from the AP. Uh, NASCAR teams boycotted a meeting with series leadership Wednesday as a show of frustration over the slow pace of negotiations on a new business model. Three teams representatives told the Associated Press on the condition of anonymity that the owners collectively decided to skip the quarterly meeting because they don't believe NASCAR has negotiated in good faith. The request for anonymity is due to the sensitivity of the negotiations. The owners went public last October with their frustration over what they consider a broken business model in which racetracks and NASCAR make the bulk of the money and teams are forced to fund their organizations through outside sponsorship. NASCAR has said it is willing to work with the teams on financial security and reiterated that commitment Wednesday after no owners showed at before the meeting. Uh, NASCAR is committed to open and productive dialogue on a regular basis with all industry stakeholders. That's NASCAR saying this in a statement. We remain committed to continuing discussions in the spirit of collaboration and with the shared goal of growing our sport for the benefit of all stakeholders. The AP learned Wednesday that the team owners do not believe NASCAR has negotiated in good faith and that they have taken a step backward in talks on an improved business model. Moving forward, they want NASCAR chairman Jim France and executive vice chair, is it Lisa France? Yes. Kennedy? Lisa France Kennedy at the meetings, the team representatives told the AP. The financial split from the $8.2 billion media rights deal signed ahead of the 2015 season sends 65% to the tracks, 25% to the teams, and 10% to NASCAR, according to the series. There are two major track operators, NASCAR and Speedway Motorsports. NASCAR owns the majority of the venues on the Cup Series schedule, including the Crown Jewel Daytona International Speedway, and the France family owns NASCAR. Mm -hmm. Still. Still. They still own NASCAR. Teams have argued they have become full-time fundraisers seeking sponsorships to keep their organizations afloat, and the only possible place to make further financial cuts is through layoffs. NASCAR in 2016 adopted a charter system for 36 cars that is as close to a franchise model as possible in a sport that was founded by and independently owned by the France family, doubling down on the France ownership, which is a huge part of this. Yep. The charters give the teams something of value to hold or sell and protect their investment in the sport. But the team business model is still heavily dependent on sponsorship, which the teams must individually secure. The teams revealed last October that sponsorship covers between 60 to 80% of the budgets for all 16 chartered organizations. Because sponsorship is so vital, teams are desperate for financial relief elsewhere and have asked NASCAR for distribution from the league to cover baseline costs. 
The current charter agreement expires at the end of the 2024 season, the same time that NASCAR's current television deals expire. NASCAR President Steve Phelps in February told the AP that he was confident a resolution could be found between the sanctioning body and the teams. Phelps said, quote, we have said publicly and we will continue to say publicly that we need to have financially healthy race teams. Financially healthy race teams will put a better product on the racetrack, and that's great for the sport overall. Those are discussions that we're having with our race teams right now, end quote. NASCAR is also in the thick of negotiating a new television contract. NASCAR in 2015 signed an $8.2 billion contract with Fox Sports and NBC Sports. NASCAR has an exclusive negotiating window with both networks that expires May 1st. That Phelps told that to the AP. From that date, NASCAR can explore television rights deals with outside partners. So there is the story again. That is from the Associated Press. It's an interesting story. It and, is. And you know what? Um, I side with the, the drivers in this one because, what? yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> when you get to that uh, that point, the financial split from the $8.2 billion media rights deal, 65% to the tracks, 25% to the teams, 10% to NASCAR. And like, like what is brought up, NASCAR owns over half of the tracks. Mm-hmm. So the tracks are getting 65% and NASCAR is getting 10%. So they're getting but, 75%. But isn't this how it's always been? It kind of has. It's <laughs> It used to not be that good. It, yeah. used to, it used to be not that good of a deal. I mean, they, they pretty much relied on their winnings and uh, the sponsorship alone to keep their teams afloat for most of the time. Yeah. Um, it, so, uh, but uh, it's, you know, one of those things too where it's like, do the tracks really deserve 65% of it? I understand that there is a year-long amount of money they have to put into it. Yeah. So, like, say, for instance, Bristol. They got a small army of people working there daily. Sure. Yeah. That just go out there and keep the place up. Yeah. You know, uh, keep it looking nice. Um, or if there's a project that needs to go on there, like, they're, I know in Vegas, they're constantly redoing stuff there. They're they're constantly changing the way the grandstands are. Yep. And uh, adding and taking away things to change the experience to make it a little bit more more fun for the fan, uh, stuff like that. And not only that, but they have tracks and racing kind of uh, things that you can do while you're there on a day where they're not racing. You know, I've got an idea on how Bristol can cut costs. Keep it dirt? No. (laughs) If they have it dirt, they got to buy water. They got to fuel the trucks to run around the track, spraying the water. Get that dirt off of there. Uh, see, hey, I cut some costs right there. They could hire me as as a uh, an advisor on this. No, they got a lot of natural spring water running <laughs> through there. It's okay. They don't need to really buy their water. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I the 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 comment were full time fundraisers seeking sponsorship. They've always been. Yeah, they always have been. This is. I mean, it's this isn't anything. They the teams argued they have become. No, you haven't. You've always been. Yeah, right? pretty much. <laughs> so, I, I guess, I, I don't know. I, maybe this can change it to a, a point where it's not, okay, what is this, What is my favorite driver's car going to look like this week? It might be the same car for several weeks in a row for once. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like, you know, the New York Yankees, you always know what they look like. Yeah, they always got the pinstripes. They got the pinstripes. And Jeff Gordon, always at the rainbow car. Yeah. Till 
towards the end where he was get it seemed like he had a different sponsor every week because that's what they could afford that week. Right. Yeah. Then, for, for me, I it it takes me a, a few laps to remember what Chastain's car looked like all the time. Wait a minute, where am I finding him now on here? <laughs> it's like a like a, a new bowl of M and M's every week. Pretty much. Yeah. And. <laughs> It, yeah, but it also looks like they they dumped a b- bunch of water in it too <laughs> and stirred it around because yeah. you can't really tell right which one's which. Uh, I know. I mean, there's like a there's like a post every week that shows on the Penske page where they show okay this is what our three cars are going to look like this week. Yeah. Uh, whereas it used to be you had the black number three out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the red, white, and blue forty three. Yep. The brown. The, the rainbow brown twenty four. Yeah. The, the brown brown UPS car. Yeah. Uh, and. That is one of the things that's gone. And yeah, that's, it, that's, it used to be a special event. I mean, you'd you'd have your Fourth of July race for a different paint scheme, or or uh, uh, maybe uh, you know I can't even think of anything right now. But it was oh, a spe- yeah, the, the All Star race, the All Star, um, yeah, yeah, and the Fourth of July race at Daytona when they used to run that one. Um, uh, the the Clash always had different paint schemes too. Right, and now it, it's just every week. Yeah, it's every every week you got to figure out what your driver yeah. looks like. Right. So anyway, that's going on right now. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, but May first, May first was the uh, was the deadline where NASCAR can look around for more uh, television rights deals. Hopefully, they'll find somebody who doesn't have a cable package, and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, one of the things one of the things that I noticed um, this year while I've been keeping track of the the uh, ratings, they're about three hundred thousand down every week. Mm-hmm. From from what their normal viewer viewings or their ratings were from last year, um, they're still up over the last, I think five or six years. Uh-huh. They're still doing better than the last five or six years. So you got to think that that deal they got coming up here, eight point two billion is the current Ooh. deal that they're yeah. they're wrapping up. Because that's got to you know, even if the even if they're losing ratings, it's still going to be a bigger deal. It's still going to have more money in it. So the thing I'm hoping for is, okay, if NASCAR starts splitting the money a little bit better with the teams and the drivers and everything like that, I'm kind of hoping that this doesn't change the way that the TV is done, especially with, yeah, because if you're going to put more money into it, you're going to have to have more commercials. That's true. And so does that mean we're going to get commercials every four laps instead of every seven? Well, we're already sponsoring commercials with commercials we, yes, we have sponsors a, for the there was a sponsored commercial break that yeah. one time i remember that yep, that was yep. yeah so well we'll see we'll see how it shakes out it'll be an interesting summer that way yeah <laughs> and hopefully hopefully it's a step in the right direction yeah because i mean it, we do need it going it's 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 one of the most major parts of our show for one yeah but uh <laughs> yeah it's one of the things we love to do the most is watch it yep so it'd be it'd be a be hopefully it's a good deal yeah all right and it wouldn't surprise me if they start going on the streaming route but also at this point it's really not that developed but you got to start someplace i guess that's true and now we're going to move on to winter views we have ruben morellis on the phone ruben is the announcer for the world of outlaws late models ruben welcome to checkers and wreckers victory lap thank you guys for having me i know Corey is always sending me uh new episodes to check out the podcast and I've checked it out before. So you guys do a great job and I appreciate you guys having me on here as a guest. Awesome. Thank you, Ruben. I really appreciate that. I, I, I know people look at it on the Snapchat when I send it out there, but I'm, <laughs> I just figure they kind of tap through it as quickly as possible. But so I appreciate you listening. <laughs> um, 
So, Ruben, where does racing start for you? Uh, do you remember the first race you ever you ever went to? Oh, yeah. Uh, El Paso Speedway Park. That was back in, I want to say 2006, 2007. You know, I, I think it was 2007. Um, that was way back when I was just a little, little kid, six years old. Um, it was me and my dad, and we checked out El Paso Speedway Park. It was a 4th of July night they had fireworks and sprint cars and that's ever since then every friday night you could find me there and every saturday night at southern new mexico speedway i was instantly hooked so yeah you got into it obviously pretty young and i mean you know you got bit right around the same age as as me too but uh who are some of like the top racers from back in that day oh man in my area God, I mean, Christy, Christy George's Barnett. I mean, if you haven't heard of her, she's the only female to ever win a 10,000 to win modified show. She was awesome. Uh, Sherman Barnett, you know, back then was, was a little faster too. But like in my area, we still had Stormy and Johnny Scott. Uh, they were still racing locally. And of course, Johnny Scott now with us in the world of outlaw case, late model Stormy, uh, kind of just running his own deal. And, and uh, Garrett Alberson, he, he was another big one. Uh, he, he was also a big he was a big influence in my life because growing up he uh, kind of grew the late model class back home and and that's what encouraged the the guys to get better the CLMA dirt car series would come down and I was in his wedding and he taught me about everything in high school I worked for him and and uh so I guess they, they were kind of the big dogs in sprint cars I mean John Carney the second now he's doing big things um those were kind of the the big guys, and and now they've moved on and they're on national stages. That's pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, so, Ruben, how does this uh, transition into you becoming an announcer? I mean, you started at, at that pretty young too. So, wh- where did this where did this start for you? Yeah. So when we started going to the races, we started going every Friday night um, and Saturdays. We obviously started going every Saturday. Um, funny thing, it was crazy. From my house, it was 43 minutes to get to El Paso Speedway Park, 45 minutes to get to Southern New Mexico Speedway. I lived dead center. It was crazy. So, I mean, that was just a sign of me, like, this is for me. You know what I mean? Like, this this is awesome. So, uh, we started going every Friday, every Saturday, and, and my dad was like, yeah, this is good for you know, once a month, I was like, nah, they race every weekend. So I, I taught him everything there was. I taught him about the points, taught him about the track, how it changes throughout the night, and, you know, just the, just the different things. And and anyway, uh, we started going. So I told my dad one time, I was like, hey, let's uh, let's buy a race car. I, I'd like to race. He's like, yeah, I mean, we could do that, but we just don't know what we're doing. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you have a point. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, put a bunch of money into it and then just go out there and look crazy you know what i mean so in el paso we'd always sit by turn one and there was this older couple in front of us to the left and and they would always root on this number 12 modified and this modified it it just had a black skin with an awesome green number 12 i I mean it it looked that's still to my still to this day one of the most awesome font car numbers i've ever seen It, it was just awesome and uh, they would always root on this number 12. It, and back home, our modifieds are the best thing. Um, they would always root on this 12 car, but he was always in the back. And, you know, poor guy, like, I, he'd keep his line. He was a clean driver. And I appreciated him because 
he built his own stuff. And I didn't know that. And, and so we started talking to him. So my dad owns a masonry company and he, we sponsored him. So he sponsored him, bought him tires and, and, and new tires all every race and, you know, got, got him a better little engine and he ended up winning the championship the next year at Southern New Mexico Speedway. So that night, a championship night at Southern New Mexico Speedway, we're hanging out before the race is now in Southern New Mexico Speedway. It's me, my dad, this lady named Candace. She's very influential. She, uh, I haven't talked to her in a long time. Like I, She stopped going to the races because I think she went to nursing school or something. But moral of the story is she would always sit with us, and we all know that one hardcore, dedicated race fan that knows everybody at the track. Well, that was her. You know what I mean? Like, she knows what every driver had for lunch and what every driver, you know what I mean? Like, she's that hardcore. She knows everybody. So she'd always sit with us. And, then, of course, the, the older couple, which were the grandparents of Rob, the driver that we sponsored was Rob Madrid. I should, should probably say that. And uh, his parents, his parents sat with us. So we were there, championship night. You know, it's him and it was Patrick Carney, I remember. Uh, Patrick Carney was one of the guys that was going for the championship. And uh, they, they were getting ready to go at it tooth and nail. And we're just standing there hanging out. And, and Joe, Rob's dad, talks to me before the races. He's like, Ruben, you'd be good for writing the programs. Now, keep in mind, I'm in eighth grade in middle school at this point, the year before I started announcing. Um, he's like, you know, Ruben, you'd be good for writing the programs. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that, Joe. I, I really didn't like writing, you know, back then. My, I could, I didn't even know how to spell late model. I still don't. Like, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> right? Does the E or the L go first? I don't know. You know what I mean? So back then I was like, nah, no way. I, I wasn't just, I guess I just wasn't mature enough for that. But the reason he said that was because I never liked a driver, you know, for, oh, they always win or, oh, that's an awesome paint scheme or, or I don't know, you know what I mean? Like they're popular. No, I, I've always liked the driver for you know the the build up, the, the way they they present themselves, the way the way they do things. Exactly the way Rob was. Like Rob literally built his own stuff. You know what I mean? He took pride in his own stuff. He always had clean look. You know what I mean? Even though he didn't have much, he took care of his equipment. He was just he was just good, man. You know what I mean? Like he was just that awesome Friday Saturday night racer that didn't have much but still went out there and. And gave a good 100% effort. So I appreciated that. And he built his own stuff. Like, you got to appreciate that. Nowadays, a lot of people don't build their own stuff and go take their own stuff. You know what I mean? Like, that that's pretty awesome. So it was kind of, you know, inspirational. And, and that's that's why, you know, I, back growing up, he was my favorite. And um, we sponsored him and stuff like that. So Candace that night overheard me talking with Joe about that. So my dad at the time had a bad ankle. So you know, I'm only 12 years old. So Candace would take me down to the pit area uh, after the races. So me and Candace go on down and right at the pit gate. Yeah, I'm telling you, Candace knows everyone. There's this group of people standing in a circle. I don't know who they were. You know what I mean? I just wanted to go get driver's autographs. I mean, you, you, you ask Royal Jones today and Royal was like, yeah, Ruben was that kid that came down and got my autograph every weekend. I mean, <laughs> he was here every weekend. I'm telling you, I had, I have Royal autographs like, probably in a thousand programs back home. But like we were going down and we're at the pit gate and Candace stops at this circle, a group of people. And I'm like, come on lady. Like in my head, you know, I'm like, come on, let's go until I heard my name come up. And I'm like, wait, what? 
she's like, Brian, Brian Holbert was her announcer back, back in the day. So growing up, I had a great announcer to listen to. Brian Holbert, if you guys don't know him, he is now the announcer for the ASCS National Tour and the Sprint Cars. Moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's a great guy and very professional. So I grew up listening to him. So I'm just there minding my own business, looking at the race cars until Candace is like, hey, Brian, I know someone that would love to do your job. Ruben here. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> no, 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 no way. You know what I mean? I'm in eighth grade. I'm like, I'm telling you guys, I was the shyest thing, you know, back back then, you know. And honestly, I still am. But anyway, so everyone's like, whoa, like, okay. And then Brian's like, huh, I mean, I sure. I mean, come up and do the two trophy dashes next week. And I was like, okay. So next week rolls around and Candace is sitting there. She's like, well, this is like the second to last heat race of the sprint cars. And you should probably start heading up. And I'm like, ah, man, I don't know if I want to do that. And and my dad was like, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? And Candace is like, no, you got to go. And I'm like, okay. I, I still, to this day, remember that feeling getting out of my chair, seat 44 all the way to turn one at Southern New Mexico Speedway. Just getting up and just walking to the tower. I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Like, butterflies were a max. You know what I mean? So I woke up all 32 steps, the longest 32 steps of my life. And I get into the tower, and Brian's like, whoa, you're here. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I didn't think you were going to come. And I'm like, ah, I got to do this. And he's all like, all right, well, let me finish this last sprint car heat race, and, and we'll go over everything. I'm like, okay. So he sits me down. He's like, all right, so the stock cars are going to come out first. It's a trophy dash, four laps, $100 to the winner in a trophy. And I'm like, all right. And then he's all like, here's the mic. And here are the driver names and stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm good. Yeah, like, you know, I, I knew all the drivers. So I did the, I did the four laps, and I, I'm telling you, I blew the roof off that place, even though there ain't one. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, Brian, and, and everyone in the tower were like, "Holy cow!" You know that that uh, movie, the the movie Cars, in the scene when Weedo does the pit stop for Lightning McQueen, and every all the other little forklifts are like, "Holy cow!" You know what I mean? Like that was everybody in the tower, and like, but Brian, Brian, you know, I'm not saying he's he's tough, but he's tough. You know what I mean? So. He's all like, okay, let's slow down here. Your sprint cars are next. Are you sure you want to do them? They're a little fast. And I'm like, give me the mic. Let's go, baby. <laughs> so like, I ended up doing the sprint cars, and he's like, here are the names and stuff. I'm like, I don't need that. I know these guys. So I literally announced it, and ever since then, everyone told me, like, man, you got big shoes to fill, kid. You got big shoes to fill, the photographer, the promoter, the videographer. I mean, a lot of people kept telling me, uh, Derek Hugh, the scorer, they're like, you got big shoes to fill, kid. You got big shoes to fill. Every weekend they would tell me that. Now, keep in mind, this is September, uh, and we raced all the way through November. So through October, the fall nationals, people kept telling me, and I'm like, what do you guys mean? They kept telling me. And they're all like, well, I know we, you come to every race, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, I've been here for the past, you know, four or five years, haven't missed a race. And they're like, okay, just listen to Brian at the very last race. So it's November 11th, 2012, and, uh, or 2011, and Steve Kinzer, I mean, that's back when we had the ASCS National Tour there. Those were awesome days. And Steve Kinzer, obviously sponsored by Royal, Mississippi Valley Transportation, um, he uh, went, whooped everybody's butt. I'm telling you, he, he was awesome. Steve Kinzer, I'm so happy I got to watch him race growing up. And anyway, Brian Holbert's interviewing Steve, and then – he, he breaks into a thing. He's like, well, race fans, I got good news and I got bad news. 
The good news is the AFCS National Tour has picked me up to be their touring announcer. The bad news is I'm no longer your announcer. So everyone's all like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's my turn, let's go. So, oh, man, so that off season, that, that's November. So, like, you know, late November, I, I ended up getting a, I ended up making a Facebook and, and getting in contact with Royal. And I literally just messaged them on Messenger be like, hey, Royal, um, I mean, actually, I still have that message. I uh, I literally did a Facebook post a couple of years ago that when that trend was going is how it started versus how it's going. So I, I still have that message. Um, I, I said, I'm actually reading it right now. I said, Dear Royal, I wanted to wish you a lot of luck this weekend, and I really wanted to thank you for all the races you put for us fans. Um, I haven't missed a race in four years. I go to El Paso Speedway Park in Southern New Mexico Speedway. And I would love to do the announcing, the announcing at the speedways because that's been my dream. And uh, yeah, he told me to meet him at his office. So my mom literally had to drive me, and because and my dad had to drive me because I couldn't drive. You know, I was 12 years old. So they drove me to the office in Las Cruces and met with Royal on December 4th. And he's all like, "Here are the rules. You know, here's the top music you play. You know, we went over everything." And, and stuff like that literally started me at $50 a night back in the day as a 12 year old kid, man, I was, I was living the life. You know what I mean? Like that was, that was pretty cool. You know what I mean? Get to go out Friday and Saturday and, and, uh, Oh man, it's just, uh, I wish I go back and relive those days, but that's, that's where it started for me at a young age. And, and man, that, the stories could just keep going from, from how I advanced from there, but that's how it started. Fifty dollars uh, at twelve years old—that was better than the, the allowance that I got from my parents. So, congratulations <laughs> on that one. Uh, Ruben Morales is our, our guest. He is the announcer for the World of Outlaw Late Model Series. Um, Ruben, uh, I, I got first intro- introduced to you, I believe, when you kind of jumped in about midway through the night during a lot of the races at uh, I think it was Southern New Mexico Speedways for the Wild West Shootout. I believe is where because a lot of our guys yeah. from up here go down there to race. Uh, right around that time, so that this when I first uh, first caught you. And one of my favorite things about that was two years in a row uh, watching this when it was going on, the uh, change in your voice, <laughs> where it actually dropped down <laughs> from sounding like a little eight year old kid uh, to to yeah. closer to what you are now. Um, and I, I also got to work with you over at uh, in Casa Grande at uh, um, Central Arizona Raceway that one time, and uh, I remember you announcing the whole time. Um, like, you know, some guy that's been doing it for 20 years and then, uh, seeing you sit and wait for your ride to get home after that was pretty, pretty (laughs) funny too. (laughs) But, uh, uh, Ruben, um, you know, you've, you've gotten to travel around pretty, uh, pretty good, you know, since you started out there in, uh, in, uh, your end of the world out there. I mean, what are some, uh, what are some big events that you've gotten to do over the last several years? Oh man, I've, I've been you know, honored to, you know, be part of the dirt car summer national since 2018. Uh, that, that's a, that's an awesome story how I got there. And, and, you know, with the world of outlaws, I was their pit reporter at the end of 2020 and in 2021, um, which pit, pit reporting, by the way, guys, hats off to pit reporters. Like that is, that is a tough deal. I'm used to being in the tower with my, with my laptop and information in front of me and stuff like that. And, and pit reporting is a whole different animal, especially when you're on camera. But no, I mean, I've got to work, you know, I guess the, the biggest event I've got to work, um, Mike Norris, the announcer at Fairbury, he uh, is a pit reporter. Um, 
for Eldora when it comes to the Dirt Lake Model Dream and the World 100. And for anyone listening here, the World 100 is the Super Bowl of Dirt Lake Model Racing. And obviously, the Dream is its sister event, is the second biggest event in Dirt Lake Model Racing. Pays 100 and, well, you know, 100, it used to pay 100,000, but now they do like it was the 25th annual, the one I got to work, or the 26th and 27th annual to pay 126,000, 127,000. So that was big. That was at Eldora Speedway, you know, the big E uh, in Rosberg, Ohio. Mike Norris uh, had to go to a wedding. And because of COVID in 2020, it got, you know, postponed to the following year. So we had double dreams. Um, Still to this day, I think that that is the biggest event I've ever worked. Uh, You know, when you have 20,000 fans and, and the best dirt league model drivers in the country in one area, the, the nerves definitely get to you. The pyrotechnics, you know what I mean? Just, just the, the, the environment, uh, four straight days at Eldora, honestly, still to this day, I think that is the, the biggest event I've worked. Uh, it was an honor to work at Eldora. I mean, the, the chills, you know what I mean? And, and they have such good announcers there, you know, I mean, Dustin Jarrett, James Essex, and Ben Shelton, those guys are the best in the business, you know, and, and to just be a part of that team was, was a pretty cool uh obviously world finals i mean world finals is big the world of outlaw sprint cars and and late models and big block modified uh, all three you know the four wide it's just a a, a, an event that gives you chills you know i mean that that place is packed with with fans you know what i mean probably i don't know thirty thousand people at the facility you know what i mean that that, that's pretty big Uh, obviously prairie dirt classic at fairbury the, the thing i love about fairbury i like to play golf uh, on the on you know when, when I'm when I can and and they have a a big golf outing for charity for the Shriners Hospital a couple of years ago me and me and Rick Eshelman, um rest in peace my buddy we uh, shaved our heads <laughs> for charity and and shaved my mustache we raised like almost four thousand dollars for that so that was cool on Thursday and of course the event Friday Saturday um, one of my favorite USA Nationals at Cedar Lake. Uh, that was fun. And, and, and my, my younger days growing up, uh, Corey, I know you were with me for some of these, like Arizona, you know, I got to work the winter extreme, which is now known as the wild West shootout, winter meltdown, fall nationals back home. And, and, uh, I did some fun little tours like red river mod tour. I know me and you did it one time, uh, I believe, you know, here in Texas and, and got to, you know, just go to some hole in the wall racetracks in Texas that were awesome. Just raced really fun, like Grayson County Speedway, and and got to see a lot of other tracks like Cannondale and and Devil's Bowl and Heart of Texas. But uh, those are some of the big events I've done. You know, just uh, following a national series, you'd see a lot of, you'd be a part of a lot of big events and and see a lot of big races and and nice tracks. And growing up, you know, those were some of the fun ones too. So earlier you were you were kind of talking about how you had big shoes to fill just when you were taking taking over down uh down in your end of the world out there uh you have now uh jumped up to the ranks of the world of outlaw late models um and you know obviously it's more big shoes to fill how many times have you have you probably heard that enough uh, uh right now with uh filling in and taking over for rick eshelman who was uh, one of the greatest announcers of all time I mean, I've been hearing it since I was 12 years old, you know, even when I took over Brian Holbert's spot, they're like, you, you got big, you know, how I told you earlier in my story, everyone kept telling me, you got big shoes to fill, kid, you got big shoes to fill, kid. And, you know, I've, I've always, I've always um, had a chip on my shoulder and still do just because I've reached the national stage. It doesn't mean I'm going to change or, or I'm going to get lazy. You know what I mean? I, I always have a chip on my shoulder and, and, you know, uh, one, one thing I always say is never call me professional because I can always be better. And, you know, 
I, Rick's shoes are are tough, are going to be tough to fill. And, and, you know, unfortunately, Mother Nature hasn't played nice with us. It feels like we've had 30 rainouts already, but we haven't raced in over 40 days. And, you know, having, having you know, the mic for four outlaw races already this season, um, it, it's been an honor. And I will say it's uh, it's uh, it, it's a tough deal, man. You know, when you, you get in the heat of the moment, there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, it, it's very emotional. I guess it was so far it's been emotional for me. Like I haven't had a night that I'm like, hot. Oh, let's just, you know, have a regular night. Cause at Volusia, uh, you know, sunshine, the first race back without him, you know, that was tough. And then, uh, uh they presented me a plaque, um, of, of Rick and it, it just, it was very emotional. So like, it's, it's tough. It, it really, really is, you know, um, from the pre- preparation side of it, it's, it's not so hard. Cause like, that's just become routine for me getting all that stuff. But I guess like just, you know, mentally getting, getting there. Like it just still doesn't feel real. Um, but you know, that'll come with time, just the, the naturalness of it. Uh, you know, people say, Oh, you're the voice of the outlaws. I'm like, yeah, it just still doesn't feel real yet. You know what I mean? But, um, no, man, it's, it, there's all, it's always going to be big shoes to fill and whether they're filled or, or not, I'm just going to, you know, keep trying. Cause he, he honestly was the best. He, he was very underrated, man. He, he did a lot. He, uh, he, uh, announced so many big races he he still i think still i mean till this year i think he announced the the richest pain sprint car race uh, and of course they have a million this year so that's going to change but he announced i mean the outlaws for years he did just so many things you know what i mean like he, he announced the Michigan that, he announced that we town <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the great we town outlaw speedway uh yeah he, he, i remember him telling me that when he was up here for the last uh Outlaw late model event out here at the Red River Valley Speedway a couple of years ago, and um, I, it floored me right there. I'm going, no way! You announced at my favorite hole in the wall racetrack of all time. That's awesome. But then I, yeah. I, I forgot he actually spent a lot of time up here in this area because he was stationed up at Grand Forks at the Air Force Base, and that's kind of how he got what he got his start too. Was announcing up in Grand Forks, uh, North Dakota, which you'll be coming up in uh, this area here very very soon. We'll get to that in a little bit. But one of the things that I gotta I gotta bring up, and uh, you know, getting the chance to uh, work alongside you a few times uh, throughout the last several years, you were one of the most meticulous note takers I have ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. I am dead the opposite of you, because <laughs> uh, I, I I can't usually when I'm done with a race I'm done like it's it's out of my system and that I go into almost like almost a slight like food coma. For when I'm done with a race, I can't even tell you what happened about an hour later. But uh, you just sit there and you write down how many races you've gone to, um, how like I, I watched you put your notes together one time and I was just in awe of you. What is your uh, method of coming about uh, your your note taking? So for there's different type of note taking. The the one that you mentioned, the one where I keep track of my announcing. I'm actually looking at it here. Just in case you guys throw me an answer, me, you know, throw me a question. I have an answer for you. Like, <laughs> like I just like going back. Like, so it's funny that you mentioned that. Let's start with that. Um, and it's a great segue because, like, great transition because Rick is the one that told me that. So I'm I met Rick in 2014 at Tucson on March on January 11th. I'm looking at the date right now. That was at the Winter Extreme. He's all like, you know, I've heard about you and I've heard a lot of things about you. He's all like, how many races have you done? And I'm like, if I'm being honest, I really don't know. He's like, well, that's like a first mistake. I'm going to 
tell you something I wish I did because he never did it. And I wish he did. Oh God, I would love to have a document of all the races he announced. But, um, no, he said, he's all like, go back and keep track of all this stuff. I'm like, okay. So, I mean, it's, you know, not hard to keep track of two years knowing that I've just done El Paso Speedway Park, Southern New Mexico Speedway. And I started traveling in my first year in 2012. That's, that's a fun story that we could talk about maybe here in a little bit. Uh, Corey Mole picked me up to do the CLMA Dirt Car Series, late models. So I went back and I was like, okay, I've been to Aztec, I've been to Tucson and in, in a couple other little places, and I was like, I did it. So in 2012, I announced 68 races, eight shows online, and 64 in 2013, 11 online shows. So it was it wasn't hard. So he's the one that kind of kind of started, you know, influenced me to start doing that. So that's why I started doing that. And, and it's cool to say, you know what I mean. I have a little graph and all the states and tracks and stuff that I've been to. So it, it's pretty cool. All the little tours that I've announced and stuff like that. Every single different broadcast I've been on, just little little things like that. So to this day, I've announced 709 shows. And, and the other day, I was thinking about that. I was like, holy cow, that's that's a lot of racing. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of weekends. Uh, yeah, I've been to 22 different states. Um, I mean, I even have little things. Like, I've announced five marching band competitions, two monster truck shows. Uh, but this is actually the 13th podcast I've been on now that, that I've been asked to. Ooh, and, top 20. Uh, Lucky 13. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Uh, see, I've done a CBS Sports Network Live. Uh, that was with Rick at Cedar Lake. And, and 381 of those 709 shows are have been on an online broadcast, uh, six banquets. So I just keep track of that. You know, every state, all the tracks that I've been to. Um, it's just always been a thing he told me to do. And, and honestly, I'm happy I did. Uh, it, it's, it's fun. So basically the way I keep track of that, you know, like I'll go example, 2023, my first event, uh, Dirt Car UMP Banquet. And then in parentheses, I put the date, 114. Okay, cool. So my next one, um, this is an actual race. I put fourth annual Sunshine Nationals at Volusia Speedway Park live on Dirt Vision. And then I put the dates in parentheses, 118 practice. And we raced 119, 120, and then 121, I put rain. So that's how I keep track of them. You know, I go back. Sometimes, you know, when I'm bored, I'll be like, huh, I'll look at my Facebook memories and I'm like, oh, wow, nine years ago I did this. So I go back and I'm like, what did I do on April 6th? You know, I go back and just look at it. So it's pretty cool to have. Um, note taking, uh, announcing wise, uh, I have this really cool Excel file. It's VLOOKUP format. So you type in the number and you push the up button and all the information comes out. You know, so you could type in, I don't know, uh, seven, 17 and you'll find Corey from the yada, 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 sponsored by, by this chassis engine builder. You know what I mean? So it's a very neat thing to have. So note taking, when I go to the pit area, uh, I go talk to the driver, you know, face to face and get their car number, their driver name, hometown, uh, depending on the class, you know, late models, obviously I'm going to get chassis and engine builder, but if it's like a stock car, I'm just going to get their sponsors. You know what I mean? Um, it, you know, just, that kind of stuff and just ask them a couple questions, you know, because in my, my eyes, these fans are great. They pay a lot of money to go watch, watch us race and, and, and watch these drivers race and, and, and a lot of subscriptions and stuff. So as an announcer, we are not the show, but we are a big part of the show. So, you know, if I could tell the fans, Oh yeah. Uh, I, I use this as a great example. Chris Morris is a modified driver down here in Texas. And, and I always say like, Hey, here's, Chris Morris, and, and a lot of fans may not know this, but he, he's in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? Like, his gas and brake are on the steering wheel. Like, he has pedals. Like, that is a phenomenal story. If, he, if, he, if the announcer never mentions that, 
people will probably never even know. You know what I mean? So just the inside story, you know, oh, this guy, this is his first night in a sprint car. People are going to be like, holy cow. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's, um, it's pretty cool just to get some, some note taking like that. And, and what I do with my notes, I go back to the tower and, and type in my notes into my computer. So when it pops up, I'll be like, bang, there it is, you know, and, and I know the cars. So note taking's always been a big thing for me. Uh, I'm a nerd. I, I like to, you know, get stats and stuff like that. And, and, and dirt, that's another note taking thing. You know, a lot of the preparation it, for me is done before I even arrive to the track. Cause I want to get stats and stuff like that. How many times have, have the outlaws been to this track? Who, who are our winners, top fives, top 10, you know, track records, stuff like that. So just a, a lot of, a lot of note taking preparation that to me is, is fun. Well, I tell you what, we have uh, a couple of things that I, I can send you. I know uh, the, the two previous races at the Red River Valley Speedway that the World of Outlaw Late Models have uh, made it out to are on YouTube. So I'll send you those links. Uh, one was in 89 nice. and one of them was in like 2020. So <laughs> so uh, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, Ruben Morales is our uh, guest here on Checkers and Wreckers Victory Lap here with Ryan Jenke, Corey Litton. He's the announcer for the World of Outlaw Late Models and again, that's going to be coming up here. Ryan, you got the dates down there for me? I do, yeah. It is uh, Wednesday, June 28th is the Cass County Showdown at Red River Valley Speedway in West Fargo. Friday, June 30th, the River Cities Showdown in Rivers, at the River City Speedway in Grand Forks. So that's uh, Wednesday, June 28th and Friday, June 30th, which means, Ruben... You got a day in between. Maybe you stop over to the KFGO studios and we hang out a little bit. Oh, that would be awesome. I know Corey had already uh, messaged me about that, asking me about that. I, def- I definitely would love to. I know we're uh, we're at Mason City, Iowa, the night before Red River Valley, and then, of course, traveling to Grand Forks so, um, after uh, Red River Valley. So, yeah, I-, I would love to. Definitely would. I've never been up to that area. Um, I got offered to do the Dakota Mod Tour back in 2018. And that was one tour growing up as a little kid. Growing up in New Mexico, I like it because, you know, I, I was, I'm very diverse with my, with my racing. You know, I know IMCA, I know USRA, I know, I didn't do much with soda, but I know about with soda and of course UMP and the world of outlaws. So growing up in my area, I'm very thankful for it because I knew all these sanctioning and, and I announced a lot. I announced, I'm telling you, a lot of different things growing up. So, you know, the Red River Mod Tour, Red River Mod Tour, the Dakota Classic Mod Tour was always a tour that I always wanted to do because I wanted to get to those states. And I was bummed in 18 because, you know, I took the Summer Nationals, which, I mean, I love the Summer Nationals. But uh, I just always wanted to get to the Dakotas. I'm super, super excited to finally get to the Dakotas. And uh, especially Red River Valley and River Cities. I mean, River Cities, oh, my goodness. I mean, what, what a place. What a palace. And, and, and just that place races so well. I cannot wait to get up there, guys. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I believe I have that Friday off, too. So I'm probably going to be following <laughs> you around there, Ruben. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun working alongside you also. I know uh, it, it's been, been, been a little been – been a couple of years since I've had the chance to do that. And Actually, I don't think I ever really got to do it on the microphone. I really only got to do it with a running camera, listening to you and figuring out where to shoot, which which you helped me out a lot on that one, by the way. <laughs> you seem to know where to, where to look, and I think that's obvious with the fact that you're getting a lot of these great opportunities that you absolutely deserve, and and uh, we're happy to have you doing this. I know I'm happy to get to watch you. Hopefully you get some good weather to cooperate with you here a little bit so that we can uh, we can hear you a little bit more often. 
Yeah, it's kind of been a hard that it's been a slow start to the season. It's a it's a bummer, but you know it's not just us. Everyone's been getting rained out. Um, we were supposed to be at Smoky Mountain a couple weeks ago, and we're supposed to be at Boyd's, and and those all rained out. So um, it's unfortunate, but hey, it's it's part of the game, and uh, can't wait to get going here in uh, two weeks at 4:11 and and a Talladega short track out there in Talladega. So NASCAR weekend there too. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And, and for everyone watching, I just real quick want to throw in a Dirt Vision plug. You know, you can watch every lap live of the World of Outlaw case, late models, and all the greatest shows on Dirt, like the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars and Super Dirt Car Series and a bunch of other good stuff on Dirt Vision. And, and for those of you that already, you know, watch on there, thank you all. And hope to see you at the Outlaw races coming up up there uh, quick. By the time we know it, it's going to be the end of the season, so can't wait to see all up there. Well, yeah. And by the end of June, when you're up here, I think we should be done with all of our snow. <laughs> we just... I was going to say, it should be fully melted by then, I ho- I'd hope. <laughs> you know, so, we've, we've been getting just peppered all year. This is, this is the most snow we've had on the ground since one of the biggest floods we've had in, in decades. And, um, uh, the, and coming up to the last couple of days, we were supposed to get 15 to like 22 inches mm-hmm. of snow. And we didn't get a foot, and people are mad about that. <laughs> it's like, what that are we cancel crazy. all this stuff for then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's actually a spot uh, up north in our industrial park where they where they call it Mount Fargo, where they dump a majority of the snow that they haul out of our downtown and different areas. I wouldn't be surprised if there's still a trace of that, some dirty snow on June 28th. I really wouldn't. Well, uh, in, yeah. in, in years where it hasn't been been this much snow, I mean, it was still there. There's still pieces of it there in July. You couldn't walk out to it because it was basically a swamp yeah. because of all the the melting and stuff and and all the dirt and stuff. But yeah, yeah. If Mount, Far- Mount Fargo's still here, we'll get when you're here. We'll get you a picture taken with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, that's big. I feel like that's the that's a staple up there. No, I, I don't know how you guys do it. I am. I am a desert rat. I am good with snow in the mountains. And, and our snow, when it would snow, it, I mean, it snows and it's gone in an hour. You yeah. know what I mean? It doesn't stick. And, and I love that. You know what I mean? It was just enough to, to play a little bit and, and it's gone. I, I'm a shorts and polo guy all day long. I, I, I give you guys props because, ah, man, I, I cannot do the snow and that, that cold stuff up there. So you, you guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ruben Morellis, thank you for taking the time to be, for, to be our guest here today on Checkers and Wreckers Victory Lap. Um, we really appreciate this good, good, uh, good little sit down with you here today and can't wait to come see you here or have you come up here and see us here in uh, June. Absolutely. Can't, can't wait. Looking forward to it. Uh, Wednesday, June 28th and that off day, who knows what we're going to do. We're going to have some fun and, and June 30th. So we'll see you guys there. And, and again, good job with the podcast guys. I appreciate you guys having me as a guest. All right. Thanks, Thanks man. Of course. Have a good day, guys. All right, moving on to our spoilers, breakdowns, and setup sheets portion of Checkers and Wreckers Victory Lap here on KFGO.com. We have a spoiler this week, and Corey, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you take off with that, and then I'll give my, my two cents. In 1990, it was one of the biggest years for auto racing movies. Of course, you had Days of Thunder, yes, but we're sir. not going to talk about that one today. Sure. Um, we're talking about the 51-minute cinematic classic. <laughs> cinematic it's, classic. It's unrated. Again, from 1990, it is Dorf Goes Auto Racing. Uh-huh. I'll, ra- <laughs> I'll rate it in a little bit. Don't you worry. By the way, if you want to watch it, there is a very blurry version of it on YouTube <laughs> if you want to search it out. Um, 
Notable cast, Tim Conway, is uh, he plays two different characters. He plays Dorf and Pops. Yep. Uh, that's 10.5% of the total cast, <laughs> by the way, is Tim Conway. <laughs> Eddie Deason, if you remember, you'll remember him from being the nerd from Greece. Yep. Um, he he uh, plays, I well, he's called Dipstick throughout the whole thing. Uh, Bruce Flanders, who could be a legitimate Flanders by the looks of him if you watch... Uh, if you watch The Simpsons, he plays the track announcer. He really holds the show together. Um, <laughs> you have cameos. There's 19 that I counted. You have cameos by Jack Aroot, Hoyt Axton, who is country music's favorite singer, is that or America's favorite country music singer, I think is what he Hoyt? was called. Hoyt Axton. Hoyt Axton, yep. Yep, you, he was there. If you don't remember him from being a country music superstar, which he actually was, I'm I'm not not really dogging on him too much, but I kind of figured that you know like Johnny Cash would rank a little higher than him. <laughs> but uh, you might remember him from uh, from Gremlins. Oh, he, he was in Gremlins. Sure. He uh, he did a lot more acting than just this movie. No, I recognized him when I saw him. Um, he sang the national anthem in there. He did a pretty good job. Yep. Uh, it's like he like he sang before. <laughs> and then the only actual music that had lyrics in it throughout the movie were Hoyt Axton songs. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Bodine was in there. Bob Bondurant, uh, Neil Bonnet, Bill Broderick. You might remember him from doing the the hat dance. He's the, he was the Unical '76 guy for many years in NASCAR. <laughs> So you do the hat dance at Victory Lane where he would organize everybody and get the pictures taken, right? Uh, Bill Douglas, Mike Douglas, Ned Jarrett, uh, Greg Johnson, Glenn Long, Stuart Miller, Phil Parsons, Richard Petty, Les Richter, Ken Schrader, underrated in this movie. Yep. Um, Rusty Wallace, who did a better interview in this movie about being angry about a driver than he did in the other 1990 classic, <laughs> Days of Thunder. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. <laughs> Daryl Waltrip and Mike Waltrip. That's all the cameos that were in this. And in a 51 minutes that I'm I'm putting it as, uh, with 19 cameos, that is 2.68 minutes in between every cameo. <laughs> <laughs> if you're to stretch it out the entire movie. Yeah. Um. What is this? <laughs> you like the way I've, I've worded that? What yeah. is this? Um. I don't know. <laughs> Dusseldorf is a very short athlete who does. <laughs> Wait, I'm supposed to read this in my. <laughs> I got to do the wacky voice for this sure. one, right? Sure. Uh, Dusseldorf is a very short athlete who decides to take on auto racing. After he destroys the European circuit, Dorf decides to come to America and race stock cars with hilarious consequences. With his ragtag crew of mits- misfits, will Dorf ever win? That was pretty good. <laughs> that was at Sears Point. At no. Sears Point, too. I forgot. Oh, I forgot about that cameo. Yeah, Sears um, Point. The racetrack played by Sears Point. And they the teased caras- us. They, the carousel version of it, too. Yeah, they teased us with Dale Earnhardt. They did. They showed the car, but he, he never was there. No, no, <laughs> never was. He probably had, uh, he was like, no, I'm not doing that. But, I mean, the best parts of it were the cameos, yeah. to be honest, honest with you. Oh, and also, there was a cameo from several Formula One drivers from the 1979 season. Sure. It was, okay, it was, yeah, uh, yeah. It was, I, it's not stock footage. I think I remember it being in a documentary, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to find it somewhere through our spoilers segment that we're going to be doing, but... uh yeah, it was um there there was a the start of the movie showed Dusseldorf uh, driving these basically Formula Three cars against Formula One drivers. Yep. and they showed them getting <laughs> ready and all of his little slap, slapstick jokes and stuff about uh, putting on gloves and the gloves rip apart. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, man. I you know uh, you have it here. Well, 
I'll give my, I'll give my, uh, uh, I gave it a caution flag. <laughs> I, I, I threw the yellow on this one. And the only reason that it didn't get black flagged uh, was because of the cameos. That was pretty cool seeing all those old guys out there. Um, so that, that, for that reason alone, I gave it a caution flag, which means go into it cautiously. <laughs> <laughs> I, and yeah, I mean, it was, it's definitely a bygone era of comedy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, at 50 minutes, you got to wonder what kept them from making this a full feature length movie. Was it? They could have got it done in 24. <laughs> yeah. It didn't even need that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it does stink. Don't get me wrong here. Um, you know, <laughs> but, it's bad. I, you know, maybe it's because I have a little bit of, you know, love for it because I remember renting it a VHS when I was a kid. At oh, the, sure. One yeah. of the two nostalgia um, movie stores that we had. Nostalgia, and I remember watching yep. as a kid and laughing, laughing pretty good at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it does stink and it, but it does make me laugh at times because it's just <laughs> silly and stupid and, and, <laughs> but you get to see so many of the uh, NASCAR stars of the time and, you can tell they're doing field fillers with ARCA cars and stuff from like ARCA West series cars or something like that yep. for some of the scenes. And yeah, I give it a green flag. If anything, just go watch it for the cameos. Yeah, for sure. I'd agree with that. You ready to move on? Yeah. We can <laughs> move right. on from that. All right. We'll move on to the World of Outlaws action. That's right. They were uh, Friday, March 31st and Saturday, April 1st. No joke. They're at the Devil's Bowl Speedway in Mesquite, Texas. The birthplace of the World of Outlaws. That was where their very first World of Outlaws race was. Nice. Nice little bit of trivia there. Uh, Brent Marks, uh, on the Friday edition, Brent Marks took the lead on the green, but the four-time and defending World of Outlaws champion, the big cat Brad Sweet, gave Marks all he could handle right away. Sweet blew around the outside of turn number four to take the lead on lap 10, just as the leaders caught traffic. Did a, the old Linda Ron stat line, a little blue by you. Um <laughs> Sweet stretched that lead out to over five seconds as he ran away from everyone to get the win. Brent Marks finished in second, and Jacob Allen finished in third. Donnie Schatz uh, finished in the 12th position. All right, moving on to Saturday, J-Mac, J-Mac, J-Mac. Old, old J-Mac, James McFadden, flew away on the start by over 10 car lengths by the time he got to turn three and was just about in traffic by lap four, but Robbie Price slowed, bringing out the yellow. McFadden again put a big gap on the field on the restart. McFadden caught traffic on lap eight, which allowed Buddy Kofoy to close in on the lead. With two laps to go, Brent Marks got crossed up and nearly spun all the way around. Marks somehow saved the car and was able to continue on, but the caution had already waved. That was all that J-Mac needed as he cruised to the win with Buddy Kofoid second and Carson Macedo filling out the podium. Donnie Schatz finished in the 11th spot on Saturday. So, and, you know, to go into that one, that actually helped out. That yellow flag at the end actually helped out uh, James McFadden because the track, uh, they've been receiving some weather, so the track was a little wetter than usual, so it was bad fast. But it also meant that it was it was very narrow as far as the groove goes. There wasn't wasn't multiple grooves. They're all kind of running around the same the same area on the racetrack. So he was in traffic for almost the entire race. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, Buddy Kofoid, you know, had a shot at him a couple of times. And when the yellow flag came out, yeah, it was <laughs> uh, it just opened up clean air right in front of uh, J Mac, and he just like I said flew away. 
Uh, the green flag dropped uh, for that last restart, and it was bye bye, baby, bye bye. That was all she wrote. <laughs> Firehouse. Uh, all um. right. Uh, the point standings uh, David Gravel is number one with 1424. He's followed by Brad Sweet, 26 points behind. Carson Macedo, third. 32 points behind. Buddy Kofoid, 64 points back in the fourth spot. And Logan Schuhart is in the fifth spot, 74 points back. Our guy, Donnie Schatz, he is in seventh, 128 points behind the leader. Yeah, he's. it's been up and down for Donnie, but I think uh, he's got some pretty good ones coming up here. I know he's had some pretty good uh, results here at the next races coming up, which is Friday, April 7th. U.S. 36 Speedway in Osborne, Missouri, Saturday, April 8th, will be the Jason Johnson Classic at 81 Speedway in Wichita, Kansas. All right. And locals racing uh, around the country, we had some action going on that way. Thursday, March 30th through Saturday, April the 1st, UMSTS at ARC. Arklatex. Arklatex Speedway in Vivian, Louisiana. That's uh, short for Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. Arklatex. All right. That sounds good. What happened on Thursday? Well, on Thursday, Kay Dillard was the winner Thursday night at the home of the Pelican 100. You might have heard of it. Um, Spicer, Minnesota's Tayton Hansen finished in 10th. Alexandria's Jeremy Nelson passed nine cars to finish in the 17th spot. Lakeshore, Minnesota's Dan Ebert finished 18th. Had some tough going out there. Uh, and Sheffield, Minnesota's uh, Jacob Lease passed eight cars to finish in at 21st. That moves on to Friday. All right. On Friday, the gas man, Caden Carter, took the Friday night show. Jacob Lees finished 20th, and Dan Ebert finished 25th. Jeremy Nelson finished one spot out of the final last chance qualifier. Tayton Hansen finished six spot, spots behind, and they did not make the main event. And then on Saturday, it was Tyler Wolf taking the win the final night in Vivian, Louisiana. Uh, then it, Dan Ebert had a much better night than his last one with a second place, er, his last two, excuse me, with a fifth place finish and Jeremy Nelson finishing a strong eighth. Tayton Hansen finished in 12th and his uh, LCQ and Jacob Lee finished 15th in the same one. Both drivers failed to make the A main. And we have more racing than that going, we're going to go a short drive from from uh, <laughs> short Vivian, drive. Louisiana to Casa Grande, Arizona. Yes, Saturday, April 1st, Central Arizona Raceway, the Easter race in Casa Grande. I like to say it that way, Grande, <laughs> Arizona. The owner of the I-94 EMR Speedway and Ham Lake, Minnesota's own, the Ham Lake Hammer, Don Shaw, got into Portland, North Dakota's Jason Strand's second late model and passed eight cars to win the main event. Strand himself picked up a third. Bemidji, Minnesota's Matt Sparby finished a solid seventh. And that'll wrap up our uh, locals on the national scene. We're going to go to the Open Wheel Warriors now because we had uh, Open Wheel season is kicking off in full gear here. IndyCar started it off with the Sunday, April 2nd edition PPG 375 Texas Motor Speedway in Fort Worth, Texas, just right next to the big old uh, Bucky's. I'm, mm. I'm wearing the shirt from there. Yeah, uh, you are. I'm all Texas today. I got Look a at you. Freestone hat on and I got a, a Bucky's <laughs> shirt. Uh, Joseph Newgarden took the lead from Pato Award on the final lap to win the PPG 375 on Sunday. It was the second straight win at Texas for Newgarden, second straight win in less than a lap. Wow. So good good job out there. God knows when to really turn it on. Uh, and the points, Pato Award is your point leader with 82 points. Marcus Erickson, the defending Indy 500 champion, is in second with 75. Scott Dixon 
the ageless wonder, still up there fighting with everybody. He is in third. He has 67 points. Joseph Newgarden with the win improves with to 66 points in fourth. And Alex Pillow is in fifth with 60 points. Next up, it'll be Sunday, April 16th, the Long Beach Grand Prix. All right, Formula One, Sunday, April the 2nd, Australian GP, Albert Park Circuit in Melbourne. Max Verstappen survived multiple red flags as well as a late race restart to win the Australian Grand Prix for the first time in his career. Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso rounded out the podium for the points. Max Verstappen is first with 69, Sergio Perez second with 54, Fernando Alonso with third with 45, in fourth is Lewis Hamilton with 38, and Carlos Sainz has 20 points in the fifth spot. Next up for them is round four, Sunday, April 30th, as at Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan Grand Prix. There it is. Yeah, this is a this is a bad year for all the rest of the uh Formula One competitors because Max Verstappen is winning at tracks that he's not won at before. Wow. And he's already been very dominant. So he's pulling one of those things where he's he's gone up into the Ayrton Senna mode or the uh <laughs> the Michael Schumacher mode or yeah. or even as recent as Lewis Hamilton, where oh. he's just gonna win everywhere wow now uh it's gonna be scary for yeah. some guys it's bad news for everybody else in the formula one circuit yes sir so we got some schedule releases too we have an update from red river sprint series on saturday june the 17th they will be racing at the jamestown speedway and i have that night off i might go out there and help out nice the red river sprint series already growing in yeah. its first year so good. That's pretty awesome out there. That'll be the first trip for the the Race Saver 305 sprint cars uh, out there at the uh, Jamestown Speedway as well for the Superior Customs or Red River Sprint Series. Yeah. But also Bemidji Speedway, the home of the Chicken Shack. Yes, sir. Released their schedule. So taking a look at this, their grandstand prices, ages 14 and up, are $14.6 to $11.5. Five and under are free. Uh, pits, the drivers are $30, ages 10 and up is also $30, and 3 to 9, $15. Their weekly classes are the, they have Wasota classes for the main thing out there. So they have Wasota modifieds, Wasota Midwest modifieds, Wasota Pure stocks, Wasota mod fours, Wasota super stocks, and Wasota hornets, along with the Bemidji mini stocks. Those are basically the rear wheel drive, uh, four cylinder cars, where the hornets are front wheel drive, four cylinder cars. Okay. Uh, the racing every week starts at 5.30 unless otherwise noted. Um, they start off in May um, on the 20th. They got a car show from 10 to 1. They got a long day that day. Yeah, and then test and tune 1 to 6. So that's uh, their first kind of kickoff out there. Then they're going to come back the next day with another test and tune. Then the 28th, the Chicken Shack uh, Nationals, day number one. The Jack Sparby Memorial starts at 5 p.m. 29th. It's day number two of the Chicken Shack Nationals and Jack's Barbie Memorial at 1 p.m. We move on to June. On June 4th, the Bemidji Race Night, June 11th, Babes Border Battle. First 10 Canadian drivers get in free. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) June the 18th, Late Model Special. And then on the 25th, Kids Meet the Drivers. Kids under 12 are free admission. In July, it is July 2nd. I like the title of this one. Red, white, and boom. Yeah, I like that too. To kind of kind of go off track just a little bit here, um, there is also a, an enduro early in the afternoon. Um, okay. Out of out in Manoman, and I'm thinking, 
a good friend of mine, Josh Johnson, who is also a racer, races, I think, anything he can get behind the wheel of. Uh, I know he's got a he has a wingless sprint uh, a sprint car and a late model that he races uh, and a modified too. He want he wanted to do that double, where okay. we go to hit Monoman and then go to Bemidji right after the enduro is over in Monoman. So that's that's an interesting uh, interesting idea. Yeah, get the daily double out of that one on July 9th, It's Young Guns Night. Drivers under twenty will be uh, in, introduced that's to the a crowd. Neat thing I, I kind of like that. That's yeah. a that's a pretty good, cool cool idea. Uh, the 16th Women in Motorsports Night, $10 women's tickets all night to the grandstands and all women in, uh, racers introduced in front of the crowd. Yeah, very cool. Uh, the 23rd Humane Society Night, $2 off admission with pet-related item for a Great River Rescue. And then on the 30th, they have their Hall of Fame Night. And I've, I don't know, I've, I, I don't follow that closely with Bemidji Speedway enough to know uh, enough, uh, yeah. but I I didn't I don't know if they've ever had a Hall of Fame, so that's pretty huh. cool to see them them do that. There's a lot of great racers that have come up from that Bemidji area. Um, John Seitz is one of them that I can think of for sure. That and I I know there's a lot of a lot of great people that have raced up in that area for many years. So that's that's pretty cool that they're going to have a Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's cool. Well, we're going to move on to August first responders salute to service night. Police, fire, EMS, military veterans are all free. August sixth out there on the thirteenth is kids' night. Twelve and under are free. Backs there'll be uh, backpacks, boxcar races, and junior track workers. I'm I'm I kind of uh, it's the boxcar races. That's a cool thing too. Kids can you take a box that okay. you can you basically put around your kid. You can decorate them up to whatever you want to do for your your race car, and the whole thing is you got to race a bunch of other kids. Huh? Take off running. We we did that at Buffalo River, and every year there's one kid that decides because we set up like cones in the front stretch. Yeah. And you're supposed to run around the cones, and then uh, like every lap you're supposed to stop and t- get a pit stop with the driver. Yep. Who, and just basically take a drink of water out of a cup or something like that. And oh, okay. There it it never fails. There's some kid that decide that feels like they have to actually run around the entire racetrack. <laughs> so we got to we got to try to wrangle the kid back in. That's funny. <laughs> and then junior track workers, I you know, I I can only imagine that that means that they're going to go out and um hang out with the officials or flagmen yeah. or, or stuff like that. I mean, that announcers. That should be a fun night for them. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to the 20th Fan Appreciation Night, a $10 admission with a ticket from a driver. On the 26th is the mechanics race, and then on the 27th is the end of summer bash and the powder puff races. We move on to September. The uh, 9th will be the AFCO Invitational Practice. This is a big event that Wasota just uh, announced. Uh, Instead of uh, having the Mod 4s, the Pure Stocks, and the Hornets, I believe, out at the uh, Wasota 100 this year, they have now moved them over to... uh, to the Bemidji Speedway for the AFCO Invitational, giving them a big special for themselves uh, at at the uh, Bemidji Speedway. And the actual race night for that will be on September 10th. Um, that, that'll be a good one for them. Give them their own little the place to really kind of set up their own identity. Because, you know, when you get to the, the 100, it's such a go, go, go kind of thing. So... These guys get to have guys and girls get to have their own little uh, special out there. It, that'll be pretty good for them. Yeah. The twenty uh, second will be the Stampede Pre Party. That'll be a beanbag tournament and DJ under the tent. 
Uh, the 23rd will be the Paul Bunyan Stampede Day number one. That starts at 4 p.m. And the 24th, the Paul Bunyan Stampede Day number two starting at 2 p.m. All right. Hey, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Checkers and Wreckers Victory Lap. Again, you can find us at kfgo.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. We appreciate each and every one of you taking the time to listen to us each week uh, and uh, share it with a friend. Let somebody know. Um, we, we like to do it. We hope you like to listen to it and uh, uh, spread spread the love around a little bit. So for Corey Litton, I'm Ryan Janke. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Checkers and Wreckers Victory Lap.